years ago when the Gatewoods moved to Banner Elk, um, we came on our very first Sunday and sat in the narthex. There were so many people here, it was overflowing into the back, and we sat there, um, and it was a gift uh, to move to a new place and to come to a church where people were worshiping and praying. Uh, that, that combination is powerful. When you enter into that, it's always a gift um, to worship, to, to cry out to the Lord, uh, and then to give God the things that are too heavy for us to carry, too complex uh, for us to figure out. Um, I love the fact that you guys are here worshiping and praying every week. Um, we start before you do. I come down Dobbins Road. And almost every week, I look up the hill, and I see the little white church with the great big tall steeple. And I am grateful that y'all gather, you worship, and you pray. So would you continue to pray with me right now? Lord, we hear Psalm 130, and we hear the psalmist say that his hope is in your word. And so we gather this morning to worship and to pray and to put our hope in your word. So as we open your word, may you send your word, the risen Jesus, to walk among us and to sit with us. May you pour out your spirit to open our ears, to open our minds, to open our hearts so that your word might dwell richly in us. And make us new and make our life together new because you are the God who promises to make all things new. So we wait for you, Lord. Come and speak and give us your new life. And we pray this together. We pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, when you do a puzzle, it's really nice if you have the box and you can look at the big picture so you know what to do with all those little pieces. Um, if you make a dress, or at least so I've been told, it's really nice if you have the pattern. Um, and if you are going to make a house, it is really helpful if you have a set of plans to consult along the way. In the same way, if you want to go somewhere new, if you want to go somewhere different, if you want to go somewhere you've never been before, it's really helpful if you have a map so you can know where the journey begins, so you can know what the next step is, so that you can know where you're going. And so for three weeks, we've been preaching about, talking about, praying about grace, gratitude, and generosity so that together we can have a big picture of, of what it looks like when we put our lives together as the children of God so that we can uh, have a pattern to follow so that all together we can put on Christ so that we can share a plan and build a temple of the Holy Spirit. Grace, gratitude, and generosity, it's almost like a map reminding us where every journey with Jesus begins, where it moves to, and where it's ultimately going. So for three weeks, we're talking about grace, gratitude, and generosity. And to do that, I'm inviting you, Alan's inviting you to listen well and listen carefully 
to Matthew 18, 21 to 35. It's, it's a story that starts with grace. And we are going to listen well and listen carefully so that, morning, so that this morning we can go somewhere the parable doesn't go. It's Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, not seven times, but 77 times. In this way, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As the settlement began, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were deeply troubled. And they went and told the master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I forgave you all of your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers until he could be tortured, until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you know the game, Would You Rather? Would you rather be like Amy and jump straight into the deep end? Or would you rather be like Alan and kind of slowly, methodically, in a way that's really wise and careful, work your way into the pool? Don't answer that, don't answer that question. Uh, because this morning, I'm going to ask you to jump right into the deep end of the gospel with me. So regardless of your personal preference, I want you to tie up your, your suit, put on your goggles, and let's jump right into the depths of God's gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God so loves the real world, the broken world, the world that's full of resentment that he sent his son into the world not to crush the world or condemn the world or just convict the world, but to, come on, say it, say it with me, save the world John 1.18 tells us that no one has ever seen God, but his one and only Son has come from the heart of the Father to make him plain as day. I mean, this is the good news of the gospel that, that we get to hear and share with each other, that God so loves the world that out of his heart of compassion, he sends his son into the world. And Jesus comes with grace on top of grace on top of grace. And so is only moved by the power to forgive. That he goes from the cradle to the cross to cancel our debts. And raised from the dead three days later, he calls each of us, he calls all of us to new life. 
Now, I know y'all aren't Presbyterians, but that would have been a great place for an amen. <laughs> amen? I mean, the good news is that Jesus comes into the world to show us God's compassion, to cancel our debt, and to set us free. The outline of that story is there for us right at the beginning of the parable that we heard from Matthew 18, summarized in verse 27. The servant's master had compassion on him, canceled the debt, and set him free. When we hear that parable and really hear it, when we hear the gospel and really hear it, it's because the risen Jesus is speaking to our hearts. And when we hear that gospel and start to experience God's compassion, the power of the Spirit moves over the chaos of our lives to bring healing out of hurt, comfort out of pain, to transform vanity and pride and shame and guilt into the new creation reality of gratitude because this is the truth of the gospel when the deep of God calls out to the deep in us when, when the grace of the father comes through the son and makes its home in our hearts by the power of the spirit it always 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 leads to gratitude but it didn't work in the parable did it as the king began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And what he asked for is more time. But the fact of the matter is that all the lives in the world wouldn't be enough time for this man to pay back his debt. And so instead of getting justice, the servant's master gives him grace. He cancels the debt. He moved with compassion, he cancels the debt, and he sets the man free. But, but that servant went out and found a fellow servant who owed him a mere $20. He grabbed him, began to choke him, and demanded that he give him what he wanted. He had been behind for so long. And he wasn't going to miss his chance to get ahead. He walked in the door full of resentment. He walked out of the door full of resentment. And he choked that man full of resentment. That's not the way it's supposed to go. So, can you step back for a second and check your brain into the imagination station with me. Use a different part of who you are, maybe just for a minute. Can you imagine with me what could have happened when the king was filled with compassion, canceled the man's debt, and let him go? What could have happened in that moment? Maybe, just maybe, the servant could have said thanks. Now, if the servant was like me, I would have, he would have said something like, really? Are you serious? That's unbelievable. And if the king then would have said, really? Yes. And believe it. 
Then the servant's eyes could have been filled with tears as his mouth was filled with praise, as his life was filled with joy, and he would have gone out the door to find his fellow servant. And maybe, just maybe, he would have confessed the temptation to start getting ahead, but instead he could have forgiven little because he had been forgiven much. I mean, can you imagine someone encountering the compassion of the king, knowing that their debt was canceled, being set free, and actually living a life of gratitude and generosity? Well, if that's going to happen for us in the real world, if that's going to happen for us in this place or in relationships where we have gotten accustomed to resentment, I think three things are going to have to happen. We're going to have to gather in humility. We're going to have to learn to pray with compassion. And we're going to have to learn to give thanks together. So before we go, let's talk just a little bit about what it looks like to gather in humility, to pray with compassion, and to give thanks together. Two weeks ago, I was leaving Denver. It was 15 degrees, and it was snowing like crazy. We were in the queue to take off when the pilot came over the intercom and announced that they were going to de-ice the plane, and it was going to delay us for 30 minutes. Monica and I thought that was the best idea we had heard in a long time. I mean, yes, please de-ice. If you need to do it twice, you take an hour. Let's get home safe. That idea sounded great to me, but the woman sitting to my left did one of those huffy breaths, you know, whipped out her phone, took it off airplane mode, and sent like 15, I can't believe I'm going to be 30 minutes late text. And and after she had like melted her phone, uh, she did that look up and like look around and like, who's willing to complain with this, uh, complain about this with me? And everybody put in their earphones and acted like American Airlines magazine was the most interesting thing they'd ever read in the world. And thank the Lord a stewardess didn't walk down the aisle in that moment. I've got $20 on the line that that woman got on the plane angry. Anybody? Somebody want to take that? I've got $20 on the line that that woman's life is filled with anger. And that when things don't go well for her, her first response is resentment. Nobody around that woman knew what to do with her anger. Myself included. And the reason is, most of the time, I don't know what to do with my own anger. I don't know what to do with my own resentment. And so I live with the unholy trinity of denial, stuffing, and hiding. And and whenever I live without receiving God's compassion, I can't care for a person like that in their anger. I mean, and there are a lot of reasons for us to be resentful. There are a lot of legitimate reasons for us to be angry. There are people in our lives who commit to care for us, and they don't. There are people in our lives who give us their word promise to show up, and they don't. 
things don't always pan out the way we want. They don't play out the way we like. And very often it doesn't seem fair. And if you're like me, I'm tempted to blame. I'm tempted to shame. I'm tempted to do anything with my resentment except give it to God in the right way. But it doesn't have to be that way. Let me say that again, because this is where the good news starts to come. But it doesn't have to be that way. Thank you. I planted a preacher out there so I'd have somebody on my side. It doesn't have to be that way because we have a king who moved with compassion in his heart, cancels our sin and sets us free, free from sin and free for humility. You see, this is the constant invitation of the risen Jesus to come back to the cross so that moment by moment, day by day, in the face of other people's resentment and in the midst of our own, we can see what God does with our sin on the cross. I mean, this is what the gospel tells us. Coming to ask for forgiveness is not a one-and-done reality. We hear the gospel, we need to hear it over, we confess our sins, and we need to come to the foot of the cross where the ground is always level so that receiving God's compassion, I can share it with someone else. And guess what? I got to see that happen this week. In a women's Bible study on Wednesday morning, we were reading this passage for the second time. And we were there talking about how grace can lead to gratitude. How because we are forgiven, we are set free to forgive. And one of the women in the group started weeping. And she started confessing that there was someone in her life who had hurt her family and she wanted to forgive them and she didn't. She wanted to give grace, but she also wanted to hold on to her resentment. She wanted to use her anger to hurt that other person. But as we were reading that passage, she recognized herself in the person of the unforgiving servant. And so she started weeping and she started confessing. And she started drawing all of us back to the cross. Now compare those two women with me, if you would. The one on the airplane and the one on the Bible study. Both of them were dealing with legitimate resentment. But one was indulging it while the other was confessing it. One was typing with both of her thumbs words of judgment and condemnation. And the other was speaking words of humility and confession. One was looking for someone to crucify. And the other was looking to the one who has been crucified. When we begin to confess our sins with humility to God and to each other, something amazing happens. The vulnerability creates the space for other people to come and sit with us and pray for us with compassion. And if we are going to be people of gratitude, we are going to begin by confessing our sins, 
to God and to each other, and it will grow if and only if we let other people pray for us in that place. And thanks be to God, that's what happened in that women's Bible study. One of the other women came and prayed a prayer of confession, prayed a prayer of hope, prayed a prayer of compassion. Because it is compassion that sets our hearts free from resentment and sets them free for gratitude. When we learn to live with humility at the foot of the cross, when we learn to let others into the places that hurt, then and only then will we really, truly learn to give thanks together. That's tough for me because I'm an introvert and I like to figure things out on my own. I would like to figure gratitude out in my head. But how's that going to work? It's not going to work real well. But if, if you're not a thinker, if you're a feeler, I've got some bad news for you. You can't feel your way to gratitude on your own either. See, gratitude is something that happens when we receive gifts and we give thanks. The emphasis being on the we, the gifts, and the thanks. Is that me? So now that you're distracted, let me gather your attention again around the invitation to confess with humility, to pray with compassion, and to give thanks together. We can't work this out in our heads. We can't work it out on our own. This is something we need. We have to learn to practice together. But we can't should ourselves to gratitude either. The way forward is to begin with grace, to receive the gift of God and then begin to receive all the gifts of God. Since I've been telling stories about women, I'm going to finish with one more story about a woman. There is a Canadian farmer's wife who has six kids. She's a homeschooler, she's a writer, and she's a speaker. And she's written a great book called 1,000 Gifts. Her name is Anne Voskamp. And she believes that we can begin to be grateful people by opening our eyes, opening our mouths, and giving thanks together. This is not some secret mystical practice. She believes that the way to gratitude begins with humility, continues in prayer, and gets real when we simply start to write down the gifts of God that have been poured out into our lives. She, her suggestion is simple. When you receive a gift, when you notice it, name it and celebrate it with God. It's, it's that simple. But, but here's where it gets catalytic. Here's where the snowball grows. Here's where it gets exciting. The invitation of the gospel is not just to notice and name and celebrate the gifts that God gives me. The invitation is to celebrate the, God, the gifts that God gives you, all of you. 
each of you to notice what God is doing in your life, to name it, and to help you celebrate it because there are going to be moments when you're not able to celebrate it on your own. And this is why we need each other. This is why God has given us each other so that when you are in resentment mode, I can come to you with humility and compassion and name the good things I see in your life. So when I am with you, I can see the compassion of God poured out into your life. I can see the way that leads to kindness. I can see the way that you're being transformed and made humble. I can then pray that that will continue and you will become gentle and patient. And over all things, you will learn to put on love. And when we start to do that together, there won't be any need for false humility in church naming good things, nor will there ever be a temptation to prayer brag. We'll simply come and give thanks together. So one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he gathered them together at Banner Elk Christian Fellowship and had compassion on them and canceled their sins and set them free so that they could gather with humility so that they could learn to pray for each other with compassion, so that they could practice a form of gratitude that filled the whole world with generosity. Amen? Spirit of gratitude, let's stand. Your mercies follow me, your kindness. 